This is an FOU Studios podcast. The Chris Hahn Show. America and welcome. This is the Chris Hahn Show. I'm your host, Chris Hahn. The truth is on the air and truthfully tonight, America. I am live and I'm taking your calls at 631-451-1039. Another Wednesday night because of the Islanders. So I'm here at 631-451-1039. I'll be back to Thursdays next week. Got a couple other Wednesdays here and there. The Islanders decided to play a lot of hockey on a Thursday this year. I don't know what to tell you. I'm wearing my Islanders hat, uh, even though I, uh, I'm i upset that I keep moving my show around because of them. But, you know, I'm still a fan, Mike. What am I going to do? You, you and, can't choose that, right? Anyway, hey, guys, let's start off talking about somebody that we all admired, even if we disagree with them. Uh, the 41st president of the United States of America who died over the weekend, George Herbert Walker Bush. Um, who was a one-term president who many people will say will go down in history as the most successful one-term president. I, I, I think that JFK was probably the most successful, not even full-term president. Uh, but I will, I, I, will, I will talk tonight about George Herbert Walker Bush, a man whose policies I did not always agree with, but he is a man who I truly believed loved this country served his country both in war and then throughout his lifetime uh, in various roles, a member of the House of Representatives, an ambassador, director of the CIA, vice president, and of course, president of the United States of America. Um, he was buried today, or not buried today, he was, uh, uh, he had his memorial service in Washington, D.C., his public state funeral in Washington, D.C. He'll be buried tomorrow in College Stations, Texas, where, by the way, I spent uh, some time when I was in college, had a great time uh, at Texas A&M, where uh, the Bush, uh, President Bush's presidential library is located. Um, but I, 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 I have to say, the man was smart. He was caring for his country. He was a leader. He was a gentleman. Uh, he knew how to work across party lines. He had to work across party lines. He, he had a Democratic Congress when he was president for the most part. He led us through uh, the first Gulf War, built a coalition of, of, of uh, I believe, over 40 nations to uh, right the wrong that had been done when um, Iraq invaded Kuwait. He had a great team around him. He, he was not afraid to bring smart, strong-willed people around him. Many of the people who served in his State Department went on to become Secretary of State or other big jobs in the government. Um, Colin Powell was the chairman of his Joint Chiefs of Staff, became Secretary of State. Condoleezza Rice served in his administration. A lot, a lot of people know that. Um, he was, a, uh, he was a, a, a fine human being to serve in that office, he was competent. And I put that on Twitter uh, when I first learned he died over the weekend. And I said, you know, one of the things I said about him was he was competent. And I had a lot of people push back on me on that. Um, when I call somebody competent, I mean it. 
And I think there's not a lot of competence in this world. I think competent is a compliment, a major compliment, especially if you've served in government. Um, to find somebody who is competent, who you feel you could give a task to and they will perform that task, that's an amazing thing, whether you are in government or out of government. You're always looking for competence. And I think he was a competent president. I didn't agree with some of the things he did as president. Um, I think, you know, he, he made some mistakes. I think all presidents make some mistakes. But I never doubted his commitment to country, ever, not once. I always found him to be a remarkable American who was doing everything he could to serve his country the best way he knew how. It's a day where people on the left and the right may have had disagreements about how to get things done. But it wasn't a time when we demonized our opposition. And I, and I wish we could go back to those days. You know, I, I talk about it a lot. It's been talked about a lot. Um, people want civility, uh, but nobody wants to go first, Right. I mean, they want Democrats to be civil towards the president, but the president is an animal towards Democrats. You know, I, all the, the meme going around today was of uh, Hillary Clinton not paying attention to Trump when he got there. Why, why should she? He didn't say hello to her either, frankly. Let's, let's be clear. Uh, why should she? The guy, as recently as a couple of weeks ago, was leading chance of lock her up at his, you know, at his Trump rallies. So, yeah. We're mourning a president today that we all liked. We didn't always agree with him, but we all liked him. He was a gentleman. He could reach across the aisle. I mean, Maureen Dowd, who covered him as White House correspondent for the New York Times, viciously covered him, by the way, um, you know, adored him and he adored her. And they sometimes didn't agree. And she sometimes wrote things about him that was unflattering. But he didn't call her the enemy of the people. Quite the contrary. President Bush believed in the foundations of this country. And one of the foundations of this country is freedom of the press. He believed in the foundational institutions of this country. He respected them. And it wasn't even that long ago. I mean, I, look, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was in high school when he got elected president. I was in college in 1992. I was uh, a sophomore in college when he was unelected, and it was my first campaign. I worked on the Clinton campaign in 1992, particularly at the Democratic National Convention in New York City as a young teenager. I admired Bill Clinton Tremendously. I actually was for Jerry Brown originally in that campaign, believe it or not. Um, like most people my age, he was the Bernie Sanders of 1992. But uh, he's gone. It's sad. 94 years, I think we'd all sign up for that right now. But what else is gone is that ability for people of opposition parties to disagree, yet not be disagreeable. To be at each other's throats over issues, over substance, not over their personality. That is what has also gone along with former President Bush. And 
who do we blame for this, right? Everybody wants to know, who do we blame for this? I don't know. I start with Newt Gingrich. I always start with Newt Gingrich. I think it was dissolving before that. There's a movie out about Gary Hart and that scandal. But I, I want to start with Newt Gingrich. I think he personalized politics. He made the personal issues of the president a national scandal. He tried to impeach them over a lot of talk. I was on Tucker Carlson last night talking about impeachment. I don't believe that we're ready to impeach President Trump. I know a lot of my progressive friends disagree with me. I think for impeachment, you need removal. I think just impeaching for impeachment's sake, like the Republicans did to Bill Clinton, is not a good political strategy. Look how it worked out for them. Bill Clinton got reelected in a landslide, and his approval ratings went through the roof. Impeachment for impeachment's sake is not a strategy. And impeachment should not be, should never be a political strategy. We're going to beat them in the ballot box, America. Hold your, your, hold your fire. Keep your powder dry. There's a lot of things to investigate. A lot of things to investigate in Trump land. And we'll get to that in a little while. By the way, I'm live tonight. I'm taking calls at 631-451-1039. I'm also live on Twitter right now. I got a bunch of people watching me on Twitter right now. I appreciate you watching. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. I'm live tonight. A little later on, I got Amy Holmes joining me. The great, the great Amy Holmes, conservative columnist, conservative pundit. You see her all over TV. She's on every channel. She's on every show. You've seen her on Fox and CNN and MSN. NBC. You see her on Real Time with Bill Maher all over the world. Amy is an excellent friend of mine, a tremendous debater, uh, and uh, a fantastic guest of the show, friend of the show. She's been on a lot. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation yourself. But let me bring it back to this whole George H.W. Bush civility issue. I think that that's part of what we mourn today, right? When, when John McCain died a couple of months ago, we all talked about how John McCain believed in country first and how he believed in putting the nation's interest above his own, how he believed in working across party lines, how people who even didn't, didn't agree with him respected him. And I, I, I count myself as one of those people. I, I point out the time that John McCain took the microphone away from the woman and said, no, no, that's not true. When she was criticizing Obama, who was running against him for the nomination for presidency of the United States. And George Herbert Walker Bush, who lost a bitter reelection campaign to Bill Clinton. Not, not bitter in the same way that Trump and Hillary Clinton's campaign was. But it was a hard-fought loss. And after he lost, he seamlessly transitioned power to the man who vanquished him in the election. And he left a caring note in that desk that started what would be a lifelong friendship. Bill Clinton looked at George Herbert Walker Bush, the man who he defeated for the presidency of the United States, almost like the father he never had. And it's something that, you know, is is not talked about enough. The two of them became great 
lifelong friends. George Herbert Walker Bush mentored Bill Clinton. He was almost like another Bush child. Only this one was a Rhodes Scholar, you know, not a legacy into Harvard. Just, just saying. Um, sorry, I don't mean to take. I, don't, I shouldn't be taking shots at W. <laughs> you know, his dad's being buried. But ninety-four years, man. I mean, what a life this guy had. What a life. I mean, think about the life this man had and the service he gave to his country. I mean, we would all sign on the dotted line right now for his life. Every single one of them, right? I mean, you'd sign, right? 100%. Can we? President of the United States, ambassador to China. And then not even that, have your, your son to be your president. Your son becomes president of the United States. Your other son becomes governor. Exactly. Right? One of them becomes a them. building and loan scandal <laughs> guy, but we won't talk <laughs> about <laughs> him. <laughs> right. Your grandson's there. There's the always got to be one, right? There's yeah, one. there's always one. Right? There's, there's always one. What a life. I mean, what a life. I mean, even just think about his experience in World War II as a 17-year-old living a privileged life, by the way, a very privileged life. He did not have to jo- join the military. Pearl Harbor gets bombed. He's 17 years old. He signs up for the military, becomes a fighter pilot. Okay, a fighter pilot. Gets shot down. Wow. Survives. Think about that. Think about that. This is a guy who was, he was a privileged person. How many privileged people today? I mean, think about our current president who could have joined the army and gone to Vietnam who was probably not even as rich as George Herbert Walker Bush's father, Prescott Bush, was. His, his, I don't think Fred Trump in 1970 was as wealthy as Prescott Bush was, comparatively, in 1941. What does his grandfather do? What does his father do? Prescott Bush, yes. he was a multi-billionaire from something. I don't know, probably bootlegging or something. You know how these guys <laughs> exactly. Right his grandfather and son, I don't right. know what they did. It's the right hour. It's the right hour. I don't know what they did. I think he was a senator, though. He could, have, he could have walked away from service. He didn't have to join the Army, join the Air Corps. I'm told this is a 1941 Air Corps. The United States of America did not have the air superiority it has today. We weren't flying F-22s into World War II. We were flying Mustangs with one engine out, you know, a propeller off of an aircraft carrier. And let me tell you, the technology was not quite the same as it was. It literally was a slingshot taking you off an aircraft carrier. In 1941, very different. This guy signed up at 17 years old from a life of privilege. That's dedication to country, America. That is dedication to country. That is service you have to respect. You have to admire it, whether you agree with war or not, or if you're a pacifist. I myself don't like to see wars. I don't like to glorify wars, but World War II was a war we had to fight. And it was important to fight it, and it was important that every American took part in it, and it was a different era, America. Flash forward 30 years, the current president of the United States, Captain Bone Spurs, four or five deferrals, calls the dating scene in New York City in the 1970s and 80s as his personal Vietnam, yet somehow he thinks vets still like him. I don't know how that's possible. Anyway, 631-451-1039 is my number. By the way, if you're watching me on Twitter right now, uh, you can go stream this at linewsradio.com or if you're in the Long Island market, 103.9 FM is where I'm live right now. Pretty soon, though, 
We're going to be live coast to coast. We've got a good deal coming. It's coming very soon. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. And if you can't find me online, uh, a little later on tonight, tomorrow morning, uh, the podcast of this entire episode will be up. You'll hear the music. You'll hear Mike on the other side of the glass. You'll hear the callers. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039. Don't forget Amy Holmes coming up later on. I'll be on Ingram tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. I won't be on the judge this weekend. I got another family event. I'll be away. Um, But I'll be on Tucker on Monday, and I'll be on Martha McCallan on Wednesday. I'll probably be on Laura on uh, Tuesday, and I'll be back on the judge next Saturday the 15th. Can't wait for that. Uh, I'll also be on Tucker on Friday. I'll be on Tucker twice next week. So uh, 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of this national conversation right now. But just, you know, a couple more thoughts on on George W. Bush, George H.W. Bush, President, 41st President of the United States, and his legacy, his great legacy uh, of service to this country and the life he's lived, the family he's raised, and the respect he's Earned, frankly. Earned. So his father, Prescott, was a Wall Street guy. Wall Street guy. His grandfather is probably the bootlegger, right? Like the Kennedys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's the same thing, right? It's all the same. Because he was a Wall Street guy. Ah, oh, oh, Robert Barry. You should steal from somebody. Yeah. Exactly. You know, <laughs> One same, way or the other. Same thing. <laughs> My crack production team getting out the stats. You got to get on your game, Mike. We're going national. That's you what I'm doing, man. Hey, <laughs> stepping it up. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, what a life. What a life. Service to his country from the time he was 17, even till, you know, look, even after he was president, he continued to serve by mentoring both his son and President Clinton. And I'm sure he had many conversations with President Obama. I don't think he spent a lot of time talking to Donald Trump, though. And uh, if you look at that funeral, and if you look at how the mood changed, There was a row of former presidents and first ladies, all talking, chatting, having a great time. And then Donald Trump walked in. And then Donald Trump walked in. And it's like party over. Somebody let the the air out of the place. America. Look at the two lives I'm asking you to examine. Look at George Herbert Walker's life and his accomplishments and what he did for this country both before he was president and while he was president and even after he was president. And and just try to measure him up next to Donald Trump. And, And tell me, tell me how he measures up to you. Be honest about it, America. You could tweet me at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Tell me how it measures up. Because it doesn't measure up to me. This whole presidency has been, I mean, just, I feel like it's been a rebuke of our republic and everything we stand for as Americans. And even though people like George Herbert Walker Bush, I didn't agree with them on everything they did, at least he respected this republic. At least he made this country proud. If he would have asked me to come serve for him, I would have. I can't say the same thing about this president. 
And, and that, that makes me sad. It really does make me sad. It should make you sad too. All right, 631-451-1039 is my number. We'll get to some calls on the other side of this break. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. You're listening to The Chris Hahn Show. Keep it where it's at, America. Favorite progressive, the Chris Hahn Show. All right, I'm back. I'm live, and I am taking your calls at 631 451 1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. 631 451 1039. It is the Chris Hahn Show. I am live on a Wednesday taking your calls. Talking politics. I look. I put an offer out to Michael Avenatti, who I got into a Twitter feud with a couple of weeks back before he was arrested on assault charges. To call into my radio show to try to work things out, both for himself and uh, between us. Frankly, uh, I put the word out on Twitter. I, I know he knows it. I tweeted at him. He's got somebody monitoring his Twitter. We went back and forth for like five hours a couple of weeks ago. Uh, And then, you know, when I asked him about the whole thing that only a male could beat Trump, which is what he said, he said that, sir, America, he said only a man actually said only a white man, I think, is what he said. Really bad stuff. Uh, He stopped playing. Uh, He wanted to say that I was insinuating that uh, there was something up with Stormy. We went over this on the show a couple of weeks ago. It's on the podcast, but I never said anything bad about Stormy. I said he wasn't ever going to be president. That's what I said. I don't care how many Politico articles were written about him because he got some good publicist who probably used to write for Politico. Uh, And they're still writing about him, even though there is absolutely no chance at this point in time that he will be the Democratic nominee. There was no chance a couple of weeks ago when I said that on Tucker Carlson tonight that he would ever be the presidential nominee. And I was never saying anything bad about Stormy Daniels. God bless her. Uh, You know, I, I think it's been a nice distraction from the other Trump scandals with him, you know, colluding with Russia, uh, which, you know, we're, we're getting more and more news every single day about. Last night, the special counsel uh, released his sentencing memo on uh, Flynn, Michael Flynn, General Flynn, who served as national security advisor for about 14 days before he left, after it was discovered that as national security advisor, he committed a felony and lied to the FBI. And prior to becoming national security advisor during the transition, he talked to the Russians about sanctions that the Trump administration wanted to lift after the election. America, um, I don't know that we're in a constitutional crisis. You guys all know I was on Tucker Carlson last night, and the topic was, do we want to do the Democrats in the House of Representatives? Are they going to impeach the president? So let's talk about impeachment. Let's talk about the new Congress. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on in Wisconsin. 
I might not get to that in this half hour, but I'll get to it tonight, I promise. Um, But let's start with the impeachment situation. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Unless you're bringing Republicans along for the ride, impeachment is a waste of political capital. It's also a waste of time. If the Republicans in the Senate and the Republicans control the Senate, and even if they didn't control the Senate, you need 67 votes in the Senate to impeach. So that means you would need all the Democrats plus 20 Republicans to actually remove the president of the United States in the Senate. So there's 47 Democrats in the Senate. You need 67 votes to impeach, to, excuse me, to remove. You need 20 Republicans. Uh, ask yourself today if there are 20 Republicans that will raise their hand and vote to remove the president. The answer to that is a resounding no. Now, Mueller can come up with some information. I got a lot of calls today because the headline was, former Schumer aide says Democrats would lose in 2020 if they impeach Trump, which I do believe is true, unless, and I said this on the air, Mueller comes back with some serious allegations that are undeniable to people on all sides of the political spectrum. Things that Republicans will agree with, things that Democrats will agree with, things that independents will agree with, that this guy's got to go because what he did was so bad, he's got to go. Republicans made a mistake in the 90s when they tried to impeach President Clinton simply because he lied. I don't know if that's enough to undo the will of the people, an election. Now, I got it. This president does not have the will of the people. He never did. He's never been a majority president. If you look at the results of these midterms, the Democrats have now, it's been eight and a half, are eight and a half percent ahead of Republicans in the national popular vote for House of Representatives, eight and a half percent. The Republican revolution of 1990s, that led to the 95, uh, 1994 election, which, which led to the Republicans taking power for the first time in like 40 years in 1995, they got 71, uh, 7.1%. They had a 7.1% margin of victory over Democrats. So it was 8.5% now, Democrats over Republicans. The president lost the popular vote to Hillary Clinton. So he doesn't have a majority of Americans supporting him. But that doesn't mean you could go and remove him. That doesn't mean you could go and impeach him and expect to remove him. There has to be clear evidence of criminal wrongdoing that is undeniable to anybody who looks at it that this man is a danger to the country, that he is a criminal and he should be removed. And right now, I don't know that we have that. And if the Democrats use their newfound political capital to remove this president or try to remove this president and they fail to actually remove him, it will have been a waste of time and they will have squandered their majority. Now, there is something they can do. And I, I, I like to call this the Princess Bride strategy. You ever see the movie Princess Bride? You know, at the end of the Princess Bride, Wesley... Is uh, he's mostly dead, but he's barely alive, and you know they they get him out of the pit of despair, and they uh, dress him up, but he can hardly move, and they and they leave him on a bed in Princess Buttercup's room, where he then where she comes in, and he is then confronted by the prince, 
Now, remember, he was mostly dead a couple of hours ago. Now he's not mostly dead. He's barely alive, though. He can't move. And he says, I don't want to fight you to the death, which is, would be what impeachment is, a fight to the death. No, he says, I want to fight you to the pain. He says to, uh, to the prince, I'm going to fight you to the pain. What does that mean? He says, well, first I'm going to take off your toe one by one. And he's going to slice him apart inch by inch, painfully, leaving him hideous with his ears to hear the screams of children passing him by. Now, there's a lot to investigate, America. There are a lot of wrongdoings going on by members of that cabinet, by members of his inner staff. Let's, let's investigate the Secretary of Interior, who clearly has been violating his job. Let's look at what happened in Puerto Rico and his response to that hurricane in part of our own country. That investigation wouldn't be pretty. Let's look at the EPA secretary, even uh, administrator, even though he's left and there's a new guy there. Let's look into what they've been doing. By the way, let's look into what they, they've been doing to dismantle clean air and water in this country. And their dirty dealings with polluters. Lots to investigate. How about Ivanka's emails? Jared's emails? Let's investigate that. Inch by inch, slice by slice, to the pain, Democrats. The princess bride strategy. I know you're looking really good right now, but you were mostly dead only a couple of weeks ago. You're barely alive. You can still save the princess and vanquish the prince. I don't know who the princess is in this. Uh, I guess the country's the princess and Trump's the prince. I, I guess. I don't know. But... You know, it's a work in progress. This, I'm, 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 I'm spitballing here. You can still vanquish Trump. You could still save the day. But do not tell him you want to fight to the death. He will win that fight. He will win that fight. The prince would have won that fight. But instead, the threat of that nasty fight caused the prince to drop his sword. He was tied up without a fight. Let me tell you something, America. If we do this right, this man will walk away, maybe even before the next election, but definitely without going through the next election. If we do this right, you think this guy wants to be humiliated before the entire country? You think he wants to lose a national election? I know there's a lot of people on the left that say, oh, if he loses, he won't leave. I don't believe that at all. I disagree with Bill Maher, who I, I love. It's, you know, it's must-see TV for me every Friday night. No, I think this man's afraid of being embarrassed. And if the Democrats start slicing off fingers, cabinet secretaries, you know, his family that's working in the White House, investigation upon investigation, embarrassment after embarrassment, get that 35 38% down to 32% where it's pretty clear he's not going to win, he will leave. He will, as Wesley said, drop his sword. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. I'm live tonight. I am taking your call. 631-451-1039. I got to know what you think, America. You don't have to agree with me. 
I mean, if you're pro-Trump and you think that I'm, uh, I'm spitballing in the wrong direction, call me up. Try it out. A lot of people like to tweet at me, at Christopher Hahn. They like to tell me how wrong I am on Twitter, but they really don't have the guts to get on the air. That includes Michael Avenatti, who I sent an invitation out to come on the show today. He will not. You know who will come on this show? Amy Holmes, good friend of mine, political pundit. Uh, we will disagree. She will attempt to hijack my show, as she always does when she comes on. I will try my best not to let her hijack it. But Amy's a good guest, good friend. We've, uh, you know, we, we've worked together a lot in our careers in punditry. So I'm looking forward to having Amy Holmes on here in about 10 minutes, top of the hour. 631-451-1039. Don't forget, you catch me tomorrow night on Fox News on the Ingram Angle. I will be on Monday on Tucker Carlson. I'll be on Tuesday on Ingram again. I'll be on Wednesday on um, Martha McCallan show at seven o'clock on Fox News. Um, and again, I'll be back on the judge, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday, the 15th. But I'll be back here on Thursday. 631-451-1039 is the number if you want to be part of the conversation. 631-451-1039 if you want to be part of the national conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's the... That's the risk. I, I think that if the Democrats go in there and try to impeach without clear evidence, without Republicans coming along for the ride, it's the end of the line for us. He'll get reelected. He'll get reelected. He will. Uh, the Democrats will lose control of the House. And it'll be four more years of nonsense, which we don't need in this country. We don't need four more years of nonsense in this country. We need to figure out a way to move him along. And the way you do that is make it hard. 631-451-1039. I'm going to go to the phone. 631-451-1039. Let me go to Mike in Medford. Mike, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. It's Mike from Medford, Chris Hahn. What's up, brother? Not much, my brother. How are you doing? Um, I got, I'm going to yell at you like Judge Judy does. First of all, her name is Judge Janine. I mean, Janine, sorry. If it was Judge Judy, she'd be picking me up in a helicopter. Judge Judy, uh, I don't know if you saw, she's number one on the list of highest paid TV personalities. She made $175 million last year. Judge Judy. (laughs) Anyway, you know what? I'm just listening to you. I know, I understand why you feel with Trump. I get it. I just feel like the guy is legitimately fighting for our country. I mean, I would think you would agree the last 20 years, maybe 40, uh, you know, maybe we've been going the wrong way. Wouldn't it be right for these Democrats to want to get along and let's get some, let's get some bills uh, Look, I think if there are things that they can work on together, they should work on them together. I don't think that, I think you could walk into chew gum at the same time. Bill Clinton was a perfect example of that. Uh, he was getting impeached by Newt Gingrich, yet he was passing comprehensive uh, uh, reforms with him, and major pieces of legislation were getting through the Congress. They were balancing the budget while the guy was trying to be, while Newt Gingrich was impeaching him, Clinton was working on real problems in the country. I don't know that I don't know that Donald Trump can separate those two things. Donald Trump's very thin-skinned. You got to admit that, Mike. One thousand percent, and I think he needs to be. He stop. Just like the Democrats need to stop going after him, he needs to stop going after the media. He needs to stop tweeting. He needs to act presidential. He needs to ignore any attacks he gets, because let me tell you, there's going to be lots of attacks. And he needs to do what Bill Clinton did. He needs to tack to the center, and he needs to work where he can with the people who are trying to kill him. It's the only way to win. 
And by the way, well, Mike, if he does that, he'll be a successful president and he'll get reelected no matter what the Democrats do. Agreed. Mike, I'll thanks for your you call. TV. Thanks for your call, man. All right, brother. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039. I mean, that's the... Look, guys, I don't want him to get reelected, but if he does what I just said, he will get reelected. And I've said this on TV to him probably, okay? Because I know he watches Piro. I know he watches Tucker. I know he watches Laura. And I've given him this advice. I've met the president many times before he was president. Probably doesn't remember me, but I have met him. I remember him. And I have said on television, if the president works with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on things like infrastructure, immigration reform, healthcare reform, things he said he wanted to do, even while Nancy is using my princess bride strategy to chop off fingers and toes of the president every single day. And Rachel Maddow is doing a 25 minute monologue about how bad he is. And the New York times writing editorials about how bad he is. If all this stuff is going on yet, he is doing the people's work and moving the ball ahead. He will be rewarded with reelection. If he continues to be a whiny little cur and just, you know, complain about everything people are saying about him, like he's the only president in the history of this country to be, you know, satired on Saturday Night Live or the only president to ever have an editorial written that was negative about him. Give me a break, Donnie. Every president gets criticized by their political opponents, by the press. They get satired by comedians. Every single one other than George Washington. And if he does the right thing, if he tacks a little bit to the center, stop doing these rallies where you're criticizing every Democrat. No, invite Nancy and Chuck over for Chinese food and work it out, even if they're coming after you. I know both of them. You think you're a deal maker? Those two are real deal makers. And I know Mitch McConnell doesn't want anything to do with Chuck Schumer. And Mitch McConnell wants the Senate to operate like the House, which is despicable if you ask me, having been a former staffer in the Senate. But if the president wants to be successful, if he wants to win, he needs to work at it. And yes, there's going to be lots of hearings about things he's done, things his cabinet's done, about the Mueller investigation, about Russia. But unless there's a smoking gun, he's probably not getting impeached. So let that stuff play out and work on other stuff in the other way. You were just sitting, uh, sitting you know, four people away from President Clinton. Take his example. They came after him with everything they got. They impeached him. You think the Mueller investigation's bad? Mueller doesn't leak. Ken Starr would basically have press conferences about what he was doing to try to bring down the President of the United States. Take his example, Mr. President. Take his example. Relax. Let it play out. And work on things you can work out. I, I do a lot of crisis management. It's one of the things I consult on. 
And I have a simple, basic rule. First rule of crisis management. Well, second rule. First rule is don't panic. Be cool. Second rule is control what you can control. And Mr. President, you cannot control Congress. You never could, even when it was your own Congress. You don't control them. You can control what you do. And you can control your tweets. You can control what you say at rallies, what you say to the press. You control what legislation you decide to sign or support. What initiatives you want to work on. That you control. You don't control the other stuff. You tweeting about Nancy Pelosi is not going to bother Nancy Pelosi. There's been Billions of dollars in advertising over the last 15 years spent making her, trying to make her look like the devil, and it doesn't even matter. She's still going to be Speaker of the House. Control what you can control. You can control yourself. If you don't control yourself, the Princess Bride strategy is going to take you out. All right, 631-451-1039 is my number. I'll be back with Amy Holmes, other side of the break. You're listening to The Chris Hahn Show. Keep it where it's at, America. Everything else you heard today, and listen up. The Chris Hahn Show is on the air. All right, I'm back. I'm live. I'll take your calls at the bottom of the hour at 631 451 1039. Don't forget to tweet me at Christopher Hahn on Twitter. Look for the podcast out tomorrow, the Chris Hahn Show podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, I'll be on Laura Ingram tomorrow night. I'll be on Tucker on Monday, Ingram again on Tuesday, uh, and McCallum on Wednesday. No Judge Janine this weekend. I'm away. I've got something going on, uh, but I'll be back on next Saturday night. But joining me right now, one of my favorite political pundits on the other side of the aisle in the entire United States of America. You've heard her on The Chris Hodge Show. You've seen her on Real Time with Bill Maher. You've seen her on CNN, on H, on, on uh, MSNBC, on Fox, on ABC, on The View, on all sorts of things. Amy Holmes, big time celebrity <laughs> pundit, one of my favorite people on the planet joining me now. Amy, how you doing? I'm great. I need to take you, uh, you know, out to bars with me as my wingman. <laughs> Thank you for the buildup. <laughs> you need no wingman, I am sure. I'm sure you are quite <laughs> popular when you're at the bars. Well, let's just hope you and I don't get into a, a spat like Megan McCain and Joy Behar did on The View this week. Boy. Oh, it's killing that? me. You know what's killing me most? Like on Monday, my stepdaughter comes to me and says, hey, I used to do Joy's current show. Uh, she had a show on Current. I used to do it every week. And Joy's a friend of mine. And she's done my radio show a couple times. And uh, I, I, uh, my daughter says to me, hey, my daughter's a journalism student at Stony Brook University. And she says, hey, I need you to call Joy Behar for me and get me an internship at The View. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, how am I going to do that? I can't call her now. I was going to call her. And it was like all this stuff going on on Monday. So it's like. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not going to reach out till maybe next week. Uh, I'll let it die yeah. down and, and then I'll reach out. <laughs> so. Well, she got an internship there. I think she's got a very uh, up close view of the Viper's Nest that is the view. I, I got to tell you, I am sure. I know both of them. I know Megan McCain and I know Joy Behar. I know Joy a little bit better than I know Megan, but I've done a lot of TV with Megan um, and I've done a lot of TV with Joy. Um, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it's as blown. I could see them having a bit of a spat, but I don't believe it's like this long running spat. I just don't believe it at all. I just don't. I, I mean, Megan's too easygoing. And so is Joy, frankly. The Megan McCain I've met is actually, like, really sweet and bubbly and fun. And I've uh, met Joy a few times, and I think I did her show, and she had a show on CNN. Um, and I uh, had a really great time with her. Not such a great time the last time I did a view, which was a couple years ago. But she even apologized, saying that she knew that she was sort of ganging up on me. But whatever. Boy, yeah. Uh, I mean, I look, really get into it. Yeah. The, the, the women I know, I know both those women, and I feel like they are very similar people. So maybe they had a, mm. maybe they butted heads a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that yeah. happens. It happens in life, right? Yeah. So, exactly. Amy, we lost a good one. Uh, yes. you know, George Herbert Walker Bush, 41st president of the United States. I would, I, I, mm-hmm. I did my eulogy of him at the beginning of the show said, mm-hmm. I didn't always agree with the guy, but I always admired him. And, and, and yes. you have to admire his life and his service to this country and the way he purport, he carried himself, uh, for most of his life. And, uh, you know, I, I know you've had some experiences with him. I, I'll give you a few minutes to, to kind of tell me what you think. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, Chris, I had a chance to meet him many years ago in Washington, D.C., at a book party in Georgetown at a uh, Republican operative's home. His name's Seaboy and Gray, his big mansion there. And it was a book party for uh, Justice Clarence Thomas, who, as we know, President Bush nominated to the Supreme Court. So he was there to support, you know, his Supreme Court justice. And I was introduced to him by my then boyfriend. And uh, first of all, he's much. Wait, wait, wait! Who was your boyfriend was... back then? We got to know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, he's a journalist. His name is Lloyd Grove, and he was the uh, the gossip columnist for the Washington Post at the time. Lloyd um, Grove. Lloyd yeah, Grove sounds stores. like somebody who might have spent his summers well, in Connecticut with the Bushes. No kidding, which is funny. Um, I think his Jewish parents intended for it to sound like it to sound that way. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Uh, his, uh, God bless America. Was, <laughs> his dad's last name, their family last name, went from Zimberg to Grove. His dad was an aspiring actor. So, right, right. Um, anyway, uh, so uh, Lloyd and I, uh, you know, went up to the, the then former president, uh, President Bush, and he was much taller than I expected, sparkly blue eyes, and he looks at Lloyd, he looks at me, and he says, Lloyd, you know, how'd you ever land her? <laughs> and then he looked at me and said, my, aren't you a pretty girl? And I said, oh, my goodness. Well, you know, thank you, Mr. President. And he said, oh, really? You're a very pretty girl. <laughs> and I was, you know, kind of blushing to be hearing this from President Bush. Uh, and then the funny sort of uh, postscript on this, fast forward, I'm working for President, sorry, for Senate Majority Leader Bill Frist, and the white is now Bush Jr., who is in office, and the White House has, you know, a summer annual picnic. And I go, and I'm waiting in line to shake the president's hand and take a picture. And he, he poses for the picture. He's sweaty from having to be standing in the Washington heat, you know, all afternoon long. Puts his arm around my shoulder and looks at me and says, 
my, aren't you a pretty girl? Wow. No, really? Very, I just like. So you've, you've had the privilege of being objectified by both President Bushes. <laughs> oh, objectified. What, what kind of word is that? <laughs> very charming. Very lovely. And, Look, uh, I always say this, Amy. Close, I always say I want somebody to call me pretty at some point. Uh, it, it doesn't happen very often, but. <laughs> You're pretty smart, Chris. I gotta give you that. <laughs> that's about as good as, uh, that's about as pretty as people will call me. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. I was so close. If I hadn't been working for Bill Frist, I would have just saying, you know, your father said exactly the same thing. So we know the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. One last story. Um, I had the privilege of interviewing 43 this uh, spring for a PBS show I co-hosted with Mike Gerson uh, the morning after Barbara Bush passed away. And uh, President Bush told us then that the family had decided a long time ago, maybe a year ago or so, that uh, Jeb would do the eulogy for Barbara, who George Bush has uh, called, I thought, very notably, Mother, throughout the interview. He didn't right, call her right, mom, right. He called her Mother, um, and that he would do Dad, who he calls Dad. Right. Uh, he said, yeah, we got on the phone. I got on the phone, and I said, Jeb, you're doing Mother, and I'll do Dad. He could have done both. Uh, I mean, he was the president. He, <laughs> right. He said he he wouldn't be up to be you know to doing both. Uh, but yeah, today I watched um, the the service at National Cathedral. It was, and it, I have to say, it was surprisingly moving. I didn't expect necessarily to feel emotional, but I did because I think everyone could recognize what a, a decent and um, honorable man. President Bush was. Uh, there was like you know a bit of controversy at the very end with Me Too and and yep. um, some stories and accusations. David Copperfield. <laughs> we we all yeah, remember. Yeah, I was I was like listen, you know the the stories were about a man who's very aged yep. and I, I I have to say those I didn't find those stories to be terribly um, you know compelling. But President Bush. I think was compelling and was a very uh, impressive, as you know, obviously impressive life of service and patriotism, and you know, in serving in World War II, uh, sacrifice, and uh, you know, even listening to his granddaughters giving their tributes. I thought, you know. What what a family! What a life, and, right? Uh, I mean, I think you know yeah, that's the thing life, I always think about. I mean, this is a guy who at seventeen answered the call to join the the army in the wake of the Pearl Harbor attack, 17 years old. And he was a privileged 17-year-old, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. his dad was a senator and a multimillionaire. He did not have to go to the Army uh, Mm -hmm. and and surely didn't have to volunteer to be in the Air Corps, which back then was a very dangerous uh, thing to be in. Mm -hmm. But he did. Mm -hmm. He volunteered. And, uh, and, and he basically spent his entire life pursuing public service. So there is uh, a lot to be said for that. And he upheld the dignity and the respect of the office, which I think, you know, is something that's sadly lacking right now. You know what I'm saying? Well, some would say was sadly lacking in his successor, uh, President Clinton, in terms of the dignity of the office. And A&E just, I just watched the A&E documentary about the 20th, uh, upcoming 20th anniversary of the Clinton well, affair. Well, yeah, but, but, we but, don't need but, to get but into that. I would rather, look, I, I would take Clinton, um, you know, he, his, uh, and by the way, pillows, I would take say. what he did. Uh, you know, 20 times a day compared to what we're here seeing right now. And, well, and, I don't know. You and, and, that in the and, and let's not compare something that's long conclusion. gone to something that's present and in our face every single minute of the day. 
I know you wanted to, you're fantastic at it. You're one of the best in the business. <laughs> that's, that's why everybody puts you on. But I'm not letting you but get away with this this time, Amy Holmes. By the way, I, you're listening to Amy Holmes right now. Amy Holmes is a guest, a frequent guest on my show and a frequent guest on a variety of cable news programs across the spectrum of channels. Unlike me, who basically only goes on Fox every now and then they'll put me on somewhere else. But I'm on Fox. Amy's on every channel. Every single channel, all the time. If you watch TV news, you have seen Amy Holmes. You know who she is. She's fantastic. But, but I want to compare George W. George Herbert Walker Bush to President Trump. And okay, and, so you really do want to have this view smacked down? No, I want to have a conversation <laughs> about President sure. Trump. And and okay, and, you well, know, let's talk about President Trump, and let's talk about the news of the week. Well, it was going to be the news of the week. President Trump wanted it to be about China, his conversation with President Xi and Buenos Aires, Argentina. Well, his alleged, let's just say his alleged conversation with President Xi. Well, I, the, I don't the, believe the anything this guy happened. says anymore. I don't believe him. The, the, you know, obviously it was a big room. The conversation happened. And actually the room burst into applause, according to one report, after the, the two. And the dinner went an hour longer. Right. Anyone expected. Uh, but then along comes another Mueller investigation. Some are calling bombshell, but to me, it's kind of more like a. I don't know. Well, a small cracker. Let's get to that in a minute. Hold on a minute. You are you are deflecting. (laughs) Deflecting. Okay. Well, I want to talk. I want to compare George Herbert Walker Bush to Donald J. Trump, and the way they carry themselves, the way they respect the institutions of this country. And that's yes, a- but I think that these comparisons, you know, look, they're obviously very different people, very different men, very different lives. Well, but I, I, I tend to notice that that liberals love uh, Republican presidents once they leave office. One of them, look, of sudden, one of these oh, guys, one of these them. guys when he was I seventeen. Was oh, Chris, I was in D.C. <laughs> for all the protests against George Bush Jr. Comparing they him were, to Hitler. They were protesting the, posters, the war. The they, and, and, and pictures of Vice President Cheney and Goebbels calling George Bush a war criminal, a monster. Prior to that, George Bush Sr. I remember. And I remember the Obama protest where people had him dressed up like a monkey and people had him dressed up like he was from another country and they called him a Muslim and they said he wasn't born here, but that's not what I want to talk about. One of these guys, one of these guys when he was 17, answered the call and joined the army because there was a war going on. The other guy, when there was a war going on, said that the disco scene in New York City was his personal Vietnam. How is, how are both of those men called president of the United States. I mean, that's well, the thing that, that drives me nuts. 63 million people voted for President Trump, and he had a better 63 million strategy. people voted for Hillary, but, you know. And yet, I was going to say, he had a better campaign strategy when he did. to the electoral map. And I know his pollster, and they were very focused, uh, particularly in the last month when they saw the internal polling coming in, like, we got to hit Pennsylvania again, we got to hit Wisconsin. Right. And they themselves say, you know, it was a, a matter of 100,000 votes in these particular counties that, you know, came through for us. And, you know, Hillary but Clinton, for all of how her, does a Republican you know, party alleged political How does a Republican party that gives us George... Back that she has to win the electoral college. But how does the same party that gives us George Herbert Walker Bush 
give us this maniac, a party that pretends, and by the way, a party that pretends to respect military service, that pretends to respect Christianity. It pretends. It pretends. Look. Well, listen, this is fascinating. I watched this guy at at the funeral today trying to, you know, read along with some of the verses. I also watched Obama, who they said was a Muslim, know all the words. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing to me that this is the guy who is the Republican standard bearer. And I want to know what happens to the Republican party after he's gone. Cause he's gone in two years. Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good question. And, uh, I think that Donald Trump's uh, sort of great contribution to the Republican Party was making primaries great again. And <laughs> he did make he, them watch a must-see TV. Yes, but he, uh, you know, pointed up to the Republican Party, the GOP, about this swath of Republican voters that the GOP had not been listening to. And this is something I've, you know, I still get to repeat over and over to different audiences. But basically. In the Republican primary, you have the conservative candidates splitting up the conservative, you know, part of the spectrum, you know, uh, splitting up that piece of pie and leaving Donald Trump with the field that was sort of center left in yeah. the Republican Maybe party. Maybe not center left, he, but they, they, they weren't as no, for far the right. Republican party, right. For the Republican Party, right. those voters were more likely to support the minimum wage raising the minimum wage, raising taxes on the rich. Uh, they, you know, they tended to be more populist. This is the uh, anti-trade you know, sentiment that trade has not been uh, fair and good to America and manufacturing jobs have been shipped overseas. You had all of these uh, Republican voters who had voted previously in general elections, but not in primaries. Right. They were attracted to Donald Trump and saying, you know, I'm going to get involved in this process because this guy is saying something that I haven't heard from a Republican candidate in years. Because, of course, the Republican Party, uh, this, this was the you know, sort of Reagan coalition, uh, had more of the liber- libertarian, free market on the economic side right. than the conservative social side. And in an interesting way, Donald Trump sort of turned that on his head, didn't he? He, he did. He did indeed. He did indeed. And a lot of you know. By the way, but I've, those I've people, but those people came out. The, those people who came I've out and voted for him for those reasons are thoroughly disappointed in him now because he didn't do any of those things. He didn't raise well, the minimum I don't know wage. About that. The steel manufacturers love him, and I gave yeah. There's about guys. I don't know five thousand people that that care about that. <laughs> I mean, come on. Well, you might say that, but you know, let's look at where steel manufacturers are. Uh, that would well, be look, he's not going to win. Candidate. He's not going to win Pennsylvania again. I yeah. doubt he'll win Michigan again. Uh, you know, highly unlikely he'll win Wisconsin. Remember, they're not going to gerrymander their way into allowing president to win in Wisconsin. And mm-hmm. he's not, you know, the ch- you know maybe he'll but win he Ohio. I think I think GM pulling out of Ohio is going to be a big problem for him. Yes. Okay. Look, Chris. He, I don't disagree. He might have a tough road ahead of him in 2020. But as we know, politics is all about what are your options, and it's going to be that's true. Who well, that. who are they going to put up against him? That is a big who point. Who are they going to put up against him? And if they're if they're looking at a you know Beto O'Rourke Alexandria Ocasio Cortez ticket, no, you know, that, it'll I, be Beto, Beto O'Rourke, O'Rourke might be on the ticket, and I think that'd be a good thing. All right, hold on, Amy. All right, you want to talk about China? I don't want to not let you talk I about do. China because yes, you know a lot I about do. China. Tell me. Well, I wouldn't say I know a lot about China, but I have my reservations about China. So do I. By the way, the, the current administration, Larry Kudlow, who is the uh, National uh, Economic Council director. Which is hilarious, uh, but go ahead. 
Well, and he's considered to be sort of soft on China. He, I know, he but it's hilarious trade. that a guy who's been a pundit for the last third, it's like me being the freaking oh, no, Secretary he, he, of State. He served, he, you know, he served in previous administrations. But uh, yeah, 30 he, years ago. <laughs> Oh, oh my God! Are you an ageist now? Are you telling people he's been a TV pundit for the last thirty years? He was a good one. Anyway, but, uh, you're a good one. So am I. We haven't been in the game. We haven't been. Anyway, go ahead. Anyway, anyway, so he, you know, he said he's cautiously optimistic, but we've been down this road with China before and been disappointed. Here is, you know, my basic uh, reservation or skepticism about China's intentions. Everyone seems to be forgetting, including the previous administration. Remember when Hillary Clinton said we're going to put human rights on the back burner and we're going to focus on trade and economic uh, issues? China is a communist country. China. I was in China. China. It's China. In Beijing on the 10th anniversary of Tiananmen Square. Right. And believe me, you were very aware the Chinese government's control of information. They were censoring. They're horrible, they and they can't be trusted. Horrible. So why does this president here, trust them? Well, so hold on. It's going to get a little sophisticated here. you got to hold on. Yeah, you got, you got about a minute. <laughs> All right. Here's the problem. Go ahead. The Chinese government is not sensitive to the suffering of its own population in, uh, you know, if they were to get into a trade war right. with the United States of America. They have a much longer view. Our view is, what, two-year cycle, the midterms? And our, our view is quarterly election. profits. You know, our, our view is based on uh, an open and free democracy with elections. Theirs is not. So if you're going to play chicken with the Chinese— You're going to lose— I don't know if you're going to lose, but the odds are not on your no, side. No, you're going to lose, and, and so that's why this president is blinking like a crazy person right now. He's blinking like he's got sand in his eye, that he's outside in the wind, and there's sand blowing all over him, and there's bees stinging him at the same time. He's blinking. This is a government, this is a government who has countless people in political prison. All okay? right, Amy, I love you, and I could talk about China with you all night. But I have I 20 that. seconds left, 15 seconds left with you. All I right. got to I just want to get you to admit on, on air that you think the latest with the Mueller and the Michael Flynn is a big nothing sandwich. I think we haven't seen anything yet, and I'm hoping we see more. And if we keep getting things like this, it's going to bother me. All right, Amy, uh, I love you. At Amy Holmes, on, at real Amy Holmes on Twitter. Where are you going to be? Where, where can people find you? I'm sorry? Where can people find you? Oh, they can find me on Twitter, and I'm happy to engage. There you at go. She always do. Guys. M. Holmes. There you That's go. Amy M. Holmes. Amy M. Holmes. Real Amy M. Holmes on Twitter. Guys, I'll be right back. Taking your call. 631-451-1039. You're listening to The Chris Hahn Show. I'll be right back. Chris Hahn Show. I'm back. I'm live. Taking your calls for another 20 minutes or so at 631-451-1039. Again, that's 631-451-1039. If you want to be part of the national conversation, pick up the phone. Give me a call. Always love having Amy on. Didn't let her dominate me tonight. I, I think I held her off, Mike. 
I think I held her off. It's a W, but I think, yeah, I think that, that was, was a w. w, right? She usually takes the whole show for me. She's like, I'm going to host now. Sorry. Well, you know, I'm, she does this for a living. You know, yeah, so. I mean, she's a bigger star than me. She's on every show. For now. Yeah, and she's a good friend of mine. Amy's, Amy and I are, are actually legit friends, mm-hmm. uh, and we talk about things other than politics. Some from Get out of here. Yeah, no business way. Business stuff. <laughs> we got some things that we talk about that we're working on together, trying to get uh-huh. some speeches and make some more money. Hey, man. Uh, but uh, it was a, uh, you know, Amy's a, Amy's a good egg. Uh, I don't know where her mind got twisted and into this Republican Party stuff. I don't know where that happened. Uh, somewhere along the line, she decided that she was a conservative. And uh, for some reason, in one of these days, I'll have that conversation with her. I don't think I'm that good of a friend yet. <laughs> but one day I will figure that out about Amy. But I love Amy to death. Uh, and uh, I'm glad she was able to join me. I'm glad I didn't let her take the, the show and, and make it all about Bill Clinton's sins from 25 years ago when there's a guy in the White House right now who is an absolute danger to democracy. Sorry. He's a danger to the republic. He, he, he's, he's crazy, okay? And we're talking about China. The president made, uh, supposedly made this deal with the president of China, President Xi, or his president calls it China. China. I had a meeting with China. I don't believe he has any deal. And whatever deal he made, America, it will never happen. Basically, what the president agreed to with China was he wasn't going to put any tariffs on, and China would go back to business as usual with us. They'll continue to buy soybeans from us, and they'll uh, continue to uh, basically rob our technology. Let's be clear. And Amy made this point. I don't know if she made this point on the air or off the air. China doesn't care if their people suffer. President Xi doesn't care if his economy tanks 15 points for a quarter. He is playing a longer game. We look at the monthly jobs report. We look at the daily drop in the stock market and we care about it. It matters in elections. It matters to President Trump. In China, they're thinking 100 years from now. They're thinking we're going to dominate this world 100 years from now. The 2100s will be the deck, the century of China is what they're thinking. They're not thinking about the next quarter, the next year. They're not even thinking about the next decade, America. They are playing a long game. And this president doesn't know how to think past the 24-hour news cycle, doesn't know how to think past a five-hour news cycle. They're playing a different game. And the president doesn't understand it. Doesn't understand it at all. By the way, there's a real beard Santa outside my studio right now and uh, really looks like Santa. Maybe, is that the, Mike, is that the actual Santa Claus? Is that... Is that Santa Claus out there? That's Santa Claus. That's the Santa Claus. The Saint Nick himself. He came in from the North Pole. He's going to be on the Biddleman Show. Just this for me. Exactly. Oh Just for me. How do you get guests like Santa Claus? You got to know the right people, man. Oh, my God. Oh <laughs> you my know, we did, a, we did a lot. We did a toy drive with uh, Toys of Hope, and uh, 
he was there, so we asked him to be on the show. Well, that's that's freaking amazing. So, so you know, make sure you listen to the Biddleman Show Sunday night, Sunday seven thirty, seven thirty p.m. Yeah, Santa will be on. We'll be live. Santa will be. On. He still hasn't gotten zebra. No zebra. But uh, Randy Jackson has not sat in the chair. <laughs> not yet. But he has Santa. But I've Santa Claus. Is, is that a little huge. bit better? It's bigger than Randy Jackson. If you guys <laughs> exactly, everybody man. knows Santa. <laughs> I'm like one of five people who really care about Randy Jackson. I I love Randy Jackson. There you go. So. Uh, but it is interesting, uh, you know, what the holidays bring to the radio land. But I'm sure Santa's going to China to get most of his presents because yeah. they're playing a long game and they'll sell us $1 toys today so that 30 years from now they could sell all the toys. So kind of like Amazon. All the, all the elves from, you it's know? It's kind of like Amazon. <laughs> Amazon's relentless. Exactly. They're relentless. They will cut their prices to kill their competition because they know they're going to be around long term. They're playing a long game game. China's doing the same thing. By the way, the funniest thing about the Santa Claus being outside is all the cops flocking to him to get pictures taken. With yeah, him. right. It's awesome. That's the amazing thing. <laughs> Every cop in this building. He came up to me and goes, because uh, I guess Santa posted about it, and he's, he follows Santa Claus, and he comes in, can I give you a second? I was like, yeah. He's like, uh, is this you tonight? I was like, yeah. He's coming around after this. He's like, oh, awesome. He's like, where is he? I go, he's around the corner. He walks around the corner. That's funny. That's funny. Every cop in the building. Uh, they're not protecting me now. Which no, is fine. Santa's you know, Santa Santa here. Great. VIP guy, all right? Uh, right, right. He's a bigger bigger star than me, of course. Everybody's a bigger star than me, man. Driving me nuts. Right Amy now. Holmes, we're, we're Santa. Incline, you know? I can't even get the damn clock. I bitch about this <laughs> clock on the radio last week, and nobody fixed it. We actually we were talking about it, too. And <laughs> there was well. a big meeting. Uh-huh. Everybody at JVC got together. Said, I you know, literally wrote an email. I was like, hey, someone come and fix the clock. How do we like fix that clock that every yeah. host looks at, and, and they think their, their show's been over for 45 minutes? Yet It's, it's still going, exactly. Exactly. It's like, wait a minute, is it 11.45? I mean, uh, it's only right during daylight savings time. I have figured this out. It has never been adjusted. So what is real time? Which real is time real? is standard time. This We're in real time right real now. This is real time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if that clock was on the wall when this station started. It was. I don't know about that. 100%. It was. So yeah. somebody at some point changed that clock. That's been here the whole time. Somebody changed it. I don't know who. This just sounds remarkably like the show we did last week, but it exactly. is absolutely live. <laughs> I'm having the same conversation about the same clock. And if you want to be part of the national conversation, pick up the phone and give me a call at 631-451-1039. But it's, it is sad, to say the least, that that clock is uh, is not working. By the way, Michael Avenatti, nowhere to be found. Didn't call in, doesn't care. He's a little wimp, whiny little cur, complains on Twitter that I was being mean to him on TV. I've invited him here to work it out, and we could talk about his you know, assault charges against a woman, because I think that's very important if you're going to run for president not to have assault charges against you. I think that's just a thing of mine. I also want to find out like, if his, if his uh, PR person was a... Uh, a reporter for Politico in a different life because for some reason Politico write, has written five articles about this guy and I don't I don't get it at all. Five articles about him running for president, Should not be about a non-existent topic. Yeah, a little little str- maybe because he was the first one out of the gate that's been on TV and they figured let's write about him. I don't know what the deal is, but Michael Avenatti, my uh, my phone line is still open for you at six three one four five one one zero three nine if you want to if you want to come on and sp- and do some splaining. Because you got some splaining to do, Mr. Avenatti. Some big time splaining. But yeah, uh, the Mueller report came out. Uh, Mike Flynn, uh, a lot of redactions. I don't know what those redactions say. Until we know what those redactions say, we really don't know the whole story. Seems like he 
met with Mueller for 70 hours 19, on 19 separate occasions. That's a lot of time being interviewed. Uh, I wonder what they were talking about. And I think we all have to figure that out. We're going to all figure that out soon. But we're getting to a point, and Amy, Amy made this point to me, we're getting to a point where something's got to come out that we all can understand, or what's the point of this? Um, and, you know, I, I want him to finish his work. Uh, I want to know what's going on. I want to know how Russia influenced this election. I want to know what happened, and I want to know if there were people involved with it from the White House. And I, I, I do believe Paul Manafort was clearly involved with this. And if the president pardons Paul Manafort or Roger Stone, I'd probably change my mind on the impeachment stuff because I think that's a bridge too far for me. I think if the president pardons either one of those guys, we're in a constitutional crisis because you should not be able to use your power as president to protect yourself from anything from being embarrassed, but definitely not from criminal prosecution of you or your family. So we'll see what happens. 631-451-1039. Don't forget, tomorrow night, you catch me on Fox News at about 10 o'clock on the Laura Ingram Show. I'll be on Fox on Monday at 8 o'clock during Tucker. I'll be on Tuesday again at 10 o'clock, and I'll be on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And then again on Friday, and then again on Saturday next week. But I will not be on Justice with Judge Janine this weekend because I got something to do. I will be out of town. 631-451-1039 is my number. 631-451-1039. Let me talk about what's going on in Wisconsin. Um, remember how the last two years Republicans have been saying, Democrats are just whining. They're protesting because they lost the election. They should get over it. Blah, blah, blah. Remember that diatribe you would hear from every conservative pundit in America and you'd see it on Twitter and it'd be callers would call into my show and say, get over it. You lost the election. Get over it. So in Wisconsin, the Democrats took all of the statewide offices, attorney general, secretary of state and governor, lieutenant governor. They won them in a sweep in Wisconsin. They got rid of Scott Walker, who had been governor for eight years conservative who had a, scored a major upset eight years ago. The Republicans will still control the legislature because they so gerrymandered the districts in, um, uh, in 2010 when they got the chance that even though the Republicans only, uh, the Democrats got 54% of the vote for legislature in Wisconsin, 54%. You know how many seats that turned into? 34% of the seats really? because it's so gerrymandered. <laughs> so the Republicans in the legislature in a special session, what is known as a lame duck session, which happens after the elections, but before the new legislature takes office, has decided to try to strip the incoming governor and attorney general of some of their power. That's awesome. <laughs> Now, is that awesome or is that saw loser? No, it's 100% saw loser. Is it like, 100%. are they the biggest, whiniest little curs in the world? Facts, without a doubt. But, you know, just. I mean, talk about like, you know, all this, oh, stop, you lost. You're like, look, the people of Wisconsin voted for a governor and an attorney general. The attorney general campaigned on getting out 
of the lawsuit that Wisconsin is one of the states that joined that is fighting Obamacare, getting Wisconsin out of the lawsuit. So the legislature made it so that the attorney general cannot remove Wisconsin from that lawsuit, even though that's what he campaigned on. And that's what the people gave him 56% of the vote. Now, Republicans in this country talk about voter fraud, uh, but what they really should be talking about is how, how can they better suppress the vote and gerrymander because they cannot win on fair planes. So here is my proposal, America. In 2020, on the ballot, in every single state, we need to have a couple of things. One, We've got to have a fair redistricting rule across the country. We need a national group, and I know there is one going on right now, uh, headed by um, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, our former, former Attorney General Eric Holder to try to reform redistricting. But we need a ballot initiative on every ballot in this nation that does not have fair redistricting rules, where districts will not be drawn where uh, elected officials pick their voters, but, elected, but voters pick their elected officials. Every seat, as many as possible anyway, should be a competitive seat. This helps in a lot of ways, by the way. If all election districts are competitive, elected officials have to moderate their positions. We won't be able to have these crazy fringes on either side elected to office. And every single year, these people will have to go back to the people. Every two years, they'll have to go to the people and they will have to say why they are better to be there than their opponent based on what they did, not on the fact of some fringe issue that only affects 1% of this country or some talking point that they got from Republican Party or Democratic Party headquarters. They would have to do it on the merits of what they had accomplished. And if they don't, they'll get tossed out. That's what competitive districts do. The partisanship in Washington will disappear. We talked earlier tonight about the civility of George Herbert Walker Bush. It was a different time, America. Gerrymandering was not as sophisticated as it is now. Remember, 54% of the votes went to Democrats in Wisconsin. 64% of the seats went to Republicans in Wisconsin. That's gerrymandering. That's the only way that happens. More people wanted Democrats than Republicans by a lot. Democrats had an eight and a half percent point swing in the vote nationally. They only picked up 39 seats and they didn't pick up ground in the Senate. The Senate is not gerrymandered. The Senate is just undemocratic. States like Wisconsin, excuse me, states like Wyoming get the same amount of senators as states like California. There are 200,000 people in Wyoming. There are 50 million people in California. How is that right? Every single state needs a fair voting, fair redistricting initiative if they don't already have it. And every state in this union, in addition to fair voting, needs an ease of voting initiative. You should not have to wait four hours to vote. And, and, and Republicans want to make it harder for you to vote. Why do they want to make it harder for you to vote, America? Because they think that people 
will not vote. And they know that when fewer people vote, they do better. It's plain and simple. They cannot compete on the field of ideas, so they try to suppress the vote. We need a ballot initiative in every state in this country in 2020 that makes it easier for people to vote. Voter by mail. Early voting. Same-day registration. All of that needs to be on the ballot in every state that doesn't already have it. I, for one, think we should figure out a way to let us vote with our phones. I mean, everybody carries one. We put our credit cards in there. We put our our health details in there. Why can't we figure out a way to vote with it? Now, why can't we figure that out? I mean, if you're going to go on a plane, you're going to have your ticket on your phone. You have your ID on your phone now. You have your family history on that phone. We need to figure out a way to make it easier. We need to have more Americans vote. This, you know, people, you say, oh, you're just trying to make more Democrat. Look, I, I like it if more progressives get elected. But what you're going to have is fair, competitive elections all across America. It's not just about getting more Democrats elected. It's about making every seat competitive because the more competitive a seat is, the less likely that person's going to be an extremist. You got that Yahoo in Iowa, Steve King, who is not a closet racist. He is an overt racist, but his seat is so gerrymandered. It is so red that even that guy gets returned to the House of Representatives year after year. He's a buffoon. But he's so far right that he won't lose a primary. And that district is so Republican, he won't lose a general election. If we have a fair redistricting process, that guy's gone. You won't have Steve Kings in Congress anymore. You won't have any Willie Gohmerts in Congress anymore. You'll have good, hardworking people. And if they're not good, hardworking people, if they go crazy, if they go off the rails, you vote them out. In the general, if the party won't vote them out. But let me tell you, the parties wise up pretty quick when they know elections are competitive and they start putting up better candidates. We have better people who want to get things done for this country. We need fair redistricting. We need better access to voting, ease of voting. Make it easy. Make it easy so people don't have to give up an entire day of work to do it. Make it accommodate everybody. Have two months of early voting, America. Or at least 30 days. Why not? One of the things they're doing in Wisconsin is cutting down on early voting. Why? Because they suck. And they can. They don't believe in the people's right to vote. They don't believe in the dominance of the people. They only believe in their own power. And that's what drives them. Get rid of them, America. All right. I want to thank you all for listening. And I want to remind you all to seek the truth. Question everything. Question everyone, even me, America. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it. 
And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening, America. Wish our weekdays away, spin our weekends in bed. We drink ourselves stupid, or work ourselves dead, and all just because that's what mom and dad said we should do. Chris Hahn Show podcast is recorded live at 103.9 FM in New York at Long Island News Radio. This podcast was sent to Face Off Unlimited headquarters in Astoria, Queens, and was edited by Joe Tex. Executive producers are Joe Tex, Jay Painter, and Eric Robinson. FOU Studios is a property of Face Off Unlimited, LLC. I'm Peter Hargarden, the senior producer of podcasts here, and on behalf of everyone who worked on the show, we'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Subscribe to catch all of our other podcasts here on the FOU Studios Podcast Network. To learn more about Chris and to find out about his upcoming television appearances, follow him on Twitter at Christopher Hahn and at ChristopherHahn.com. To learn more about FOU, connect with us via social media at FOU Studios and visit us at FOUStudios.com.